Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 80% of jobs come from networking, and 80% of those jobs come from a third-level connection, a friend of a friend of a friend then why is it that 95% of people struggle with networking? Someone who knows a great deal about the human side of networking is Rich Spriegel, a net giver focused on meaningful work, helping people who are between successes. Rich is a senior vice president at Challenger Gray and Christmas, where he supports individuals going through a career transition, one of the most traumatic life experiences that you can go through. Trust me, I know firsthand. Rich talks about his firsthand experience in going through his own career transition, which helped lead him to do something more meaningful with his career. Rich provides actionable strategies to network more effectively now, during, and after a career transition. Please enjoy my conversation with Rich Spriegel. Rich, tell us a little bit about the type of work that you do with Challenger Gray and Chrisman. So that's question number one. And then the follow-up is I want to get into your story on how you ended up in your current line of work. So how did I arrive at Challenger Gray and Christmas? First of all, it sounds like a law firm, doesn't it? <laughs> it um, does. But, but I, learned, uh, I learned from someone a great way to explain it. Uh, so people say, well, what, what do you do? A lot of people aren't familiar with outplacement. And even the word outplacement sounds a little bit like outhouse, outback, you know, uh, and the like. But but what we really do is work with people that are in between successes to help them find their way. Okay, so what does that mean? Um, Challenger Gray and Christmas is a company that's actually started the outplacement business a little over 60 years ago. And we work for companies that are letting people go. And when uh, when people leave a company, it's a traumatic, it's one of, one of the five life events we think of. We think of birth, death, marriage, divorce, and the loss of a job, okay? Uh, so, so this is really an emotional event. And what we do is we meet people as soon as we can after they've been told about this change. And our first, our first message is to try to let them know they're not alone. And that there is uh, that we are there to help them first get over the the shock. And losing a job is is like a mourning process. First, you're shocked, then you're angry <laughs> to some extent, and then you go through this process of just trying to get through it to the point where you can rationalize to yourself that there is life after this company, and then you're open and, and be being ready to go forward. And so my role is to be the first one to talk to them, to help them through that emotion, and then to get them started in the process. And then we help them get ready for the journey, meaning we help them. We have a team of resume writers, a team of LinkedIn experts. We have a full staff of job coaches that are with us an average of seven years. So we help them get ready for the search, and then they each have an individual coach that's matched to them to help them go on that journey. So that may be a little bit longer, but it, at least it puts it in perspective what, you know, what we do. And I think the key to what we do is we, it's, we make it very about the individual. Um, we have this toolkit of tools, but we don't try to apply all the tools. We try to get to know the individual and, and help them with the tools that they need most to go forward. Um, we think we have a pretty good process because uh, we survey our clients along the way. And the last survey that we do with them is we ask them a question. One of the questions, which is based on your own definition, is your new job as good, 
better or worse than your last job. And even through this pandemic, um, the last quarter, 95% of our clients said by their own definition, their new job is as good uh, or better than their last job. And we think that's, we think that's a, a good surrogate for how we're doing. So we believe we have a process that works if you work the process. Okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll get into our own stories, but you know, full disclosure for the audience, this is how you and I met uh, a little over five years Absolutely. ago. You know, I was going through uh, a transition and I think you hit it on the head with the, the five major life transitions, you know, losing a job, death of a loved one, marriage, birth, you know, it's, it's a very traumatic experience. And especially for, I think the type of people that, that you work with, which are managers or, you know, higher levels, VPs, presidents, you know, their whole life, you know, I think a lot of us identify our, our lives are wrapped around and are identified with our career. And when that is suddenly taken away from you, it's, it's a shock. It's a shock to your, your system. I know at least it was, was for me. And, um, you know, I was kind of apprehensive about the whole um, outplacement service that you guys were offering and like, well, do I really need it? And I remember the first time that we met, we sat down, um, we had lunch up in, you know, your office or in, in Southfield Towers. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And I think that goes to one of the points that you were making is that you try to get a hold of people as fast as you can. You want to elaborate like why you do that and why it's so important? Uh, sure. It's because of, you know, many people have been with a company for quite some time. And as you said, you know, that you spend more time at your job with the people you work with than you spend with your family. And in many cases, if you count sleep. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is that separation. It's, it's an event from the sense of, it, a lot of times it's, it's your life. These are your best friends and you feel like you are being pushed out. So the emotional part of that, and then um, for most of the people we work with, they have about 70% of their wealth tied up around the company in the sense of 401k pension or stock or, or those kinds of things. So it's an emotional loss and it's, uh, and it's a financial loss. So it's really important to, to communicate, to let those folks like you, in this case, know you're not alone. You know, and, and for two things. One is you're not alone in the sense that even though the company had to make a difficult decision to eliminate your position, it doesn't mean they don't care about you as an individual. And they want to invest in having someone, in this case, like us, to be there to help you go forward. So, so it's to help you through that, that emotional and that, that financial. And the other point that's important is, you know, this did happen to you, but with your family and friends, it also impacts them. So when they ask you, maybe in your case, Paul, how are you doing? They generally mean it. But as you, as you talk to them about, uh, about how you're doing, in their mind, the next point is, well, how does that affect me? You know, are we going to have to move? Can, you know, are we going to be able to pay the bills? So helping that individual, in this case, you at that time, feel better about, you know, your future and the way that you're going and to try to look at this as an opportunity to try to turn this negative into a breath that says, you know what, I'm going to have a chance to take some time through some amount of severance. The company is going to cover me trying to find my way next. And to use this as an opportunity, I mean, like you did, as you maybe at some point will share your story, to use it as an opportunity to do something that if you were continuing to work, you probably wouldn't have done for quite some time. So we try to turn this perceived negative into, into an opportunity. And when I tell people 95% of the folks we work with find a job as good or better than their last job, you can just see a hundred pounds going off their shoulders. Like really, it doesn't have to be a negative. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot to unpack there. So where I want to go next with that is the unique um, process that you have in that, you know, here I was 
in a job surrounded by all my coworkers who were close to me, and now they're gone. And one of the really unique things and great things about working with you was that you would bring the group of people in transition together once every week, once every couple of weeks in this really great forum. And what I really learned about that was there, here are all these other people in similar situations to me that I could talk to and that whole feeling of not alone and really relying on that group. And there are some people that are in that group that, that was in that group with me over five years ago that had become lifelong friends. And a few of them have actually become, you know, Tama family office clients, which is, which is great. <laughs> but to your point, there was only so many things that I could talk to my wife, Teresa about. Like you, you feel like when going through it, like I didn't want to overwhelm or burden her anymore. And so there was, there were certain things that I just, you, you, you didn't want to, you know, talk about, but you could talk about it with somebody else in that group because they were going through the same thing. And it was never a pity party. That was the one thing I learned really quick um, is, and, and I learned this from, from Donna Shelby, you, you know, Donna is, is like, okay, you could have your five minutes of pity and you've said this too. And then, okay, let's put the tears away and let's get on with life and, and figure out what we're doing next. And that was the great thing about the group is that we would hold each other accountable. And when we saw somebody going down uh, a dark path, for lack of a better term, we would have the ability to grab them and say, okay, listen, we got to get, we got to get the ship righted. Uh, I mean, absolutely. It's the, one of the things that I think is important. And, and as I talk to you, Paul, you know, um, the way I was exposed to the way I was exposed to challenger was first when I was in HR, I used them for people that were leaving the company. And then when it was my turn to leave, so to speak, um, I went through the challenger process. So as I talk about this, it's not from some sales wonk that read a book about it. You know, um, it's from someone who was in their rural uh, fifties, whenever, uh, whenever this happened. And I had been with this company for 29 years. So a long time. So, uh, so for me, um, it was, you know, it was a challenge, but what I found like you was to have a safe place to talk because your family and, and your family is going to play off of you. They're worried about you. They're concerned about themselves. So for me, having a coach uh, in this case, and as you mentioned, a networking group uh, was a safe place for me to kind of dump my bucket. You know, if I, I could just get it out and just hearing, just hearing me speak it was tremendous. And then having some folks that would listen was wonderful so that when I talked to my family about it, all the emotion was gone. And I could say, hey, not a tough day. You know, I was the I was the first loser, you know, in this job, you know, or, you know, I came in second. I was the first loser. But you know what? I got that far in the process, which means there's some good things going on. So I feel good about where we're going. So whether you're working with a company you know, whether you're working with Challenger or another outplacement company, or you're going the, you know, the path alone, the key is to put yourself out there. And it's to, it's to connect with people and to find networking groups. Uh, there are all kinds of groups like the one that, you know, that we do with our clients that are for other, you know, that are for other individuals that are functional. And some churches have those kinds of groups. And uh, sometimes they have them um, by, you know, by the kinds of jobs that you're looking for. But it's the key is don't go it alone. It's tough enough um, from that sense, but you'll, you will feel so much better because I know when I was in transition, I felt like I was taking all the time. So anytime I had an opportunity to share and to help somebody else along the way, I felt better about myself. Yeah, I know one of the books that you turned me on to, The Go-Giver, um, is a tremendous read. And we'll link to that in our show notes. And that actually came up um, in my podcast episode with Terry Bean, who's, who's well-known in the, in the areas for, for networking and LinkedIn. And actually, Bob Berg, who's one of the, the authors, his birthday was just a week or so ago. So it was ironic that we were bringing him up. But let, if we transition into, into networking for a minute, 
Um, what, what are the, obviously you could talk to, about the group that you have, but for those that, you know, aren't going through or don't have access to, you know, a job placement service like a challenger, what are some of those, those groups that people can get involved in? Yeah. So maybe if you don't mind, if I could just tee that up a little bit. Sure. Um, I think generally people know networking is important. Um, but statistically, 80% of the jobs come from networking. Okay. 80% of the jobs come from networking. Of that 80%, 80% of those jobs come from the third level down in your network, meaning friends and family of your friends and families, friends and family, or translated into my version of street English, people you don't know today. Okay, so, so the key here is not just to reach out to the people you know um, and ask them for some guidance, but it's to, it's to ask them to connect you to their network. And then as you, as you reach out to their network, I would say, you know, Paul Fenner uh, uh, referred me to you. And I would even put that in the subject line of the email if I, if I sent them an email instead of call. Um, and then I would talk to them from that sense. So I would use my connection with you because people are busy. And, and they, but they still care. So if you have some connection to them, they're more likely to respond. Um, I'll tell you a quick story, if you don't mind. One of my clients went in and got a list of the top 100 recruiting firms. And he sent a note to them. And he remembered what I told him about putting a name in the subject line. And in every one of those, uh, I guess he sent 50 notes out. In every one of those notes, he put in the subject line, referred by Rick Sprigle. And he said he got like 35 responses. I know oh, I only knew five or 10 of those people, but, <laughs> but they, they're going, geez, there must be somebody I know. So let me respond back. So the power of the connection is huge. Um, so, so that networking is really important. Most people would say to me, Rich, I'm terrible at networking. Well, guess what? That makes you no worse than anyone else. 95% of the people are, of us are not good at networking. About 3% are, and the other two that think they are, aren't connected with themselves. Okay, so, <laughs> so it's not easy, but you can learn. It's not innate. And one of the ways you learn, Paul, as you know, is by connecting with other people that are also in transition, not to have a pity party, but to, but to open your network to them and to have them open their network to you. So there are groups, a lot of churches, if you check with your church, a lot of churches have uh, sponsored groups. A lot of churches open themselves up to groups. There's a group in Toledo that every Friday morning meet in a church and and they have people from the break room to the boardroom that come. And they are tremendous at helping each other. In the Detroit area, there's a group that's now called Transition Cafe that's led by Mark Corey um, and, uh, and Priscilla Archangel. What a, what a great name. Um, <laughs> She's a fabulous lady, too. Absolutely. Uh, they, meet, they meet, of course, now virtually every month. And it's a group of multifunctional people that get together uh, to help each other. So each meeting, there's a, there's a few minutes of networking before it gets started. Then everybody has a chance to stand up and speak about themselves for a minute or so. And then people can get to know them if they, if they know people and uh, companies that can help them. Afterwards, they can do that. And then there's a subject. And then networking at the end. And what I always tell people that I talk to is, one of the things you want to have is a business card because we associate uh, from a business standpoint a lot. Think about it. What is one of the first things you do is you give them your card. And a lot of people, when they're in transition, when someone gives them their card, they don't know what to do. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't belong anywhere. So I always tell folks, create a card, put four things on the card, your name, your phone number, your email address and the URL to your LinkedIn profile. You can put anything else you want on it. You know, uh, 
you can put financial executive, um, finding my way, anything you want, but those four things are important. So then when you meet somebody, you have a chance, if they give you your card, you can give it to them. If they don't and you want their card, you can say, may I give you my card? And their reaction is gonna be naturally to, to give you theirs. And what you're doing is, is when you're talking to somebody, typically you're the most important thing. But after that conversation, you and they move on. So by leaving them with your card, there's a chance you have something to remember you by. And then within 24 hours, you used to send that person a note, thanking them for the time, re 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 uh, reflecting something personal that you talked about. You know, we both used to work at the same company. We both dislike Michigan State or Michigan <laughs> or, or, or whatever that might be. And then they ask, would you have a few minutes for a cup of coffee? You know, um, so those networking events are important. And Mark and Mark and Priscilla have that. There's also functional networking groups that are around the area and that are that are local. Some for IT. There's an HR networking group for uh, for HR people called Between Successes, led by, you know, an amazing lady, Gail Sanderson. Uh, and uh, and she has some folks that do a tremendous job of, of supporting her that, uh, that love uh, what they do. So there's all kinds of functional groups out there um, for you to reach out to and get connected. But the most important thing is put yourself out there. There's a book, Paul, that I know we talked about. It's called the 20-Minute Networking Session. Yep. It's, even for a slow reader like me, you can <laughs> probably read it in a couple or three hours. But it tells you, it talks to you about networking, but how to set up one of those sessions and to realize that you don't need an hour or an hour and a half. You know, in 15 or 20 minutes, you can do what you need to do uh, with that and establish that kind of relationship. So that's a great book to read uh, and to help you through that networking process. Yeah, I'll be sure to link to a lot of the people you just mentioned and then, you know, that those you know, the 20 minute networking book, and then they also the go giver book as well. Um, so I think from a, to kind of wrap up our, this, this topic on networking, if, if somebody's not a part of, you know, a job outplacement service, like a challenger, what, I guess maybe one or two things would you recommend to them to, to get started or, or, necessarily how to get started. Probably reading the 20 minute networking book would probably be a good first step. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a great first step. Um, you know, the important thing, uh, I, I think if you, if you, if you simplify the process, uh, the first thing is first for you to understand this is a process of grieving process and and to know that you have to deal, you have to close the door behind you before you can look at the doors and open those in front of you. So the first important thing is to come to grips with yourself and where you are and, uh, and get to a good, to get to a good place. Um, because if you try to go forward and you're still angry, no matter what you think, it's gonna show up. Yeah. Just like when you go home, Paul, when you go home at night, and 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 you had a you had a terrible day. You can open the door and you know and Teresa, you know, before you say a word, she'll go. Oh, so you had a terrible day, you know. So so you it just happened yesterday. <laughs> you can't hide those things. No, so the you first can't. thing is to work through that, and the way you work through that is to talk to people that you know and care about. Okay, so that's the first thing. Get you know work through that emotion part of it, and then. As you do, try to think about this, not as a, oh God, ain't this awful, but you know what? Here's where I am. How do I make the best out of this? And it's the idea of trying to say, okay, maybe I was only with that company for a year. So maybe it wasn't the right company, or maybe I was with the company for 20 years uh, or 10, but is to take a breath and say, okay, with where I am now in my life, as far as experience, age, my family, what is it that I really want to do now? You're free to have some time to think about that. 
And as you think about, so that's really important to think about what it is I want to do next. Um, and, and it's also important to, to go through the financial side of this. You know, Paul, if you know a good financial advisor, you know, it's probably not bad to talk to them. Okay. <laughs> I, I do know one. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, but that's critical because you want to take, you want to take inventory of where you are. Okay. So that, okay. So now here's where I am. How long do I, how long can I live uh, the way I, way I need to live uh, without finding a job? And before I start dipping into my savings, and you should use that as the energy behind going forward. Uh, and, and truly, that's also important to then with that financial advisor to say, okay, from this point on, with what I want to have when I retire, what do I need to make? What do I need to make? And then the second question is, well, what would I like to make? Okay. And to me, those are critical goalposts. Yep. And then I would encourage you to look at any opportunity there is that fits between those goalposts. And that's really an important thing. And, and those goalposts, depending upon where you are, the numbers may be a lot smaller than they were when you, in your last job from that sense. So that, so you want to free yourself up. I had a president of an auto company, um, couldn't just couldn't get by. He just couldn't get over, you know, where to go, what to do. And I said, well, you have you had a business card made up? And he goes, no, I don't know what I want to do. And, and I said, well, let's take a breath. If, if you could open your mind and do what you want, what would you do? He said, well, I got an 84 Corvette in my basement for 20 years that I'm trying to restore. What I'd like to do is open up a Corvette custom shop. I said, can you do that financially? He said, yeah, I looked at the numbers. I said, why don't you do that? The next time, you know, the next day he sent me a picture of a card that had the name of his Corvette shop open on it. You know, so it's just a matter of freeing yourself. But so that's important. Then the next step is to take inventory, so to speak. You've taken financial inventory. So now it's to take inventory of what is it, what is it that I really love to do? Okay. What is it that I love to do? And then the second thing is to say, what is it that I'm really good at? And hopefully, you're going to have some things that line up. So if you can find things that you love to do that you're really good at, okay, then that's the ideal. You know, the ideal job is to find this, find something you love to do and get somebody to pay you to do that. All right. I mean, that's, isn't that the yeah. ideal job? Yes, that is. Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. Exactly. I sure do. <laughs> so, uh, so that's really critical. And the next step is to understand, which is a flaw that many people make, is to understand what makes you different for what you want to do. What makes you the same is not going to get you the job. It's what makes you different. That's what's going to, that's what's going to uh, get, get you the opportunity. So then Finally, um, if you don't mind me, I think is to take a step back and to remember two simple things. There's only two reasons why someone's going to hire you. Just two. The first one is because they like you. They feel comfortable with you. They think they could trust you. They could enjoy working with you. So one of the most important things to do is to take inventory to be your best you. Not your best somebody else, but your best you. And in an interview process, this might sound terrible, uh, and coming from my HR background, I've told a lot of people about, told a lot of people what I'm about to say, of which many didn't like it, but nobody disagreed. And that is in an interview setting, in the first five to 10 minutes, the interviewer has made up their mind already whether you're going to go forward or not and that's because of how they felt about you you know when did you you know did you smile whenever you came in were you dressed appropriately did you not smell like you just took a perfume bath 
okay, or that you've never taken a bath, okay? <laughs> um, and did you reach out and in old times, did you shake your hand or maybe did you bump with a firm fist this time? Whatever, whatever it is, you know? And so it's really important to make those first minutes with them to try to make it a dialogue and to do a little bit of research on the person to try to find ways to connect. The rest of the interview, typically, Paul, is designed to give them a chance uh, to justify the decision they've already made, or you a chance to prove, you know, save them from making a bad decision. But those first five to 10 minutes are critical. The second reason they're going to hire you is because you've done something they need to have done. And that's why it's important for you to do two things. To first, to know what you're really good at and have that front of mind. And second thing, which is really tough for people looking for a job, is to know that listening is really important. Because if you're so doggone busy talking, you'll never, you'll never let them tell you what's really important to them. So you've got to listen. And then when you hear what's important to them, then you have your stories front of mind that you can share what makes you different and how you've done what they need to have done. So really simple. They like you and you've done something they need to have done. That's that's incredible. That that was a lot of knowledge packed into a few minutes there. So that's well that that that's incredible. One of the things I want to swing back to, especially on the finance side, because I think one of the things that, at least for me personally, I know talking to some other people that have gone through the challenger program and worked with you is that you've been where we are. You you've gone through transition. And I think that's one of the things that helped connect us all together. And likewise, over the last five years through TAMA, I've worked with a lot of families that have gone through similar transitions with their jobs and doing that you know, financial inventory. And really, I think what you were getting to is defining what is enough, what is enough for our family financially and from a lifestyle standpoint, because then it opens the door. Well, I never liked working in the auto industry or I never liked working in tech. And I always wanted to open up my own business. And, and I've, I've helped guide some people through that path. And I think they relate to me because I went that path and you know, I was going to, I'll, I'll still sh- save the bulk of my good story at, at, towards the end of our conversation with you. But th- the phrase I will never forget is you can only run from your destiny for so long. And when we started our relationship, you could tell that I had this burning desire to run Tama full time. And it's a matter of figuring out how to do it. Um, so we'll, we'll come back to that because I want to kind of save that, that for the end. So let's transition into talking just high level about like the current state of the, the job market with you know, COVID and one of the things I know that you want to talk about, and, and me as well, because I was actually quoted in a CNBC article about this, is ageism. Um, I'm, I'm seeing data where you know a lot of the people that you know have been you know let go or transitioned, you know, are on the older um, side. So talk to us about maybe what you're seeing in the in the job market, because I know obviously you're here in Metro Detroit, but you also look at trends nationwide. So talk to us a little bit about that, and then we can kind of transition into to ageism. Okay. So first of all, for a young guy like you, I'd like, I'd like you to, um, instead of saying old, I'd like you to say more experienced. Okay. <laughs> I <got it. laughs> Usually I use um, the word mature. <laughs> more mature. There you go. That's, that's perfect, Paul. So um, let me start. Let me start with the, the job market. And, and you know, you, you know, you know me, one of my strengths um, is that I'm a consummate optimist. And one of my weaknesses is at times I'm a consummate optimist. Okay. But one of the things I, I really think is important is we have a higher percentage of our clients today. When we reach out to them, they say, you know, I really appreciate the, you know, the, the opportunity to work with you. But you know what, Rich? The job market is so terrible. I'm not going to waste my time right now. I'm just going to, I'm just going to enjoy, relax, and you know, maybe later look for an opportunity. And and for me, I think that's the biggest mistake they can make as a, as a person. Uh, statistically, statistically, 
Um, people are still finding good jobs right now. Okay. Number one, statistically, there are still a lot of jobs out there. You know, I think we all know that in the at the height of the pandemic, as far as unemployment, we had 20 million people out of work. Okay, now there's less than 10 million. That's still a big number, but but 10 million people found jobs. Okay. So we have people finding jobs every single month, um, whether it's in the Detroit area or it's or it's nation, it's nationwide. So the important thing to me right now from the job market is to is to go on the search because there are opportunities. And the fact that other people uh, aren't are choosing not to go means by you being involved makes your probability higher of finding something. Okay. And what's really crazy in some respects, Paul, is I have customers, let's just say in the auto industry, okay, or in the healthcare industry as two big, two big industries. And I have customers in that same area. One customer is letting people go in that industry. The other customer is letting people go and they're hiring each other's people they let go. And, and it's not because they're, they're, they're trying to trade up the same person. It's because the companies are rethinking their direction and they're retooling so that a direction that one company is going uh, is different than another. So they're hiring people from these other companies. So just because a company is letting folks go doesn't mean they're not hiring different kinds of people. So the first point is go, go and get active in the market. It's really important for two reasons. One is it'll help push you through the emotion of the job loss to get to a better place. And second of all, who knows, you could find a job. <laughs> Uh, from from that from that sense, uh, the other point about the job market right now is companies. You got to think about it from from a different perspective. Um, many companies are much more open to uh, remote working that were never open to it. So right. I've had people at all levels in the organization, from engine from a professional engineer. To a, a, to a president of a company, a CHRO, that are finding jobs in different states that the company is saying, you can stay right where you are. Just travel when you need to travel. And that would have never happened two years ago. So now, if you are in Michigan and you want to stay in Michigan, that doesn't mean you can't find a job. I talked to a young lady, I talked to a young lady um, last month that works for um, uh, a company that is based in San Francisco and she lives in Royal Oak. Another company that's working for Facebook, she lives in Michigan. So, so there's opportunities now. The other point is a lot of companies are looking at this as an opportunity to hire people they couldn't hire before. So smaller companies are saying, you know what? Because these people are no longer working, there's a level of the talent pool that I couldn't dissuade, I couldn't persuade them to leave. But now that they're in the market, I can actually attract them. So, um, so the job market is not uh, as dead as you might think. No, I'm not going to tell you the same numbers of people are finding jobs as they did in January of last year. But I can tell you there's a lot of people finding jobs. And it's if you if you believe that as the art of the possible, it'll only be possible if you go after it. Um, so so that's kind of my view on the on the on the market uh, ageism. Um, I, I wouldn't deny it. Uh, when I was on the market, um, you know, I was you know I was in my I was in my fifties and. My, I'd say not that not that I'm an ancient now, but but my age started with the five, which is generally when people start to get concerned about age. I have clients that age starts with a seven, and they're out there on the market. Not as many, but a lot with start with the five and start with the six. And I'll speak about this from two perspectives. When I was uh, the HR leader of a company, we did a lot of hiring, 
And frankly, we didn't care how old somebody was. We cared how old they acted. So if you came to an interview and fell asleep, that probably wasn't a good sign whether you were 25 or 65. Or if you came to an interview and for some reason you forgot to turn your phone off and you flipped it open, that was never really a good sign. You know, or you came, uh, you know, as a lady and had bouffant hair, you know, or, you know, but the point is you were, you were out of the times. Uh, the important thing that companies really care about is, is how old you act and are you up to date with your discipline and the technology in your discipline? So for me in my fifties, when I was looking for a job, I was, you know, I made sure, you know, I had my iPhone and I took notes on my iPad. Now, I, you know, I wanted them to see without me saying a word that I was plugged into what was going on from a technology standpoint. So, so the, the first thing about ageism is it's a really good excuse to say that's the reason I didn't get the job. In some cases, it may be. Uh, in my case, I, was, I came in, I was the first loser for a CHRO seat. Uh, and one of the main reasons the CEO told me confidentially was, the team was in their early 40s, and they wanted somebody that was the HR leader that was also one of their one of their peers from a life standpoint that they felt they could connect better to. So there's going to be some cases where it's out there, but if you put your best foot forward, um, I, I would not not do any. I would not avoid any part of the job market because I was concerned about ageism. How do you stop and take a breath? Go <laughs> no, this is good. This is, this is great. So how do you help or how can an individual individual self-identify? So I'm, I, I always, you know, throughout the conversation, I'm looking at this in two ways. You know, a person that is working with somebody like Challenger that has an outplacement service and then somebody that's completely on their own. How do I identify maybe the skills gap that I need. Cause I, I think about like what's, what's going on within the auto industry now and this transition from, um, you know, gas to electrification and the skills needed for that are different than skills needed before. And I think that's one of the things we haven't talked about, but I think is really important is, you know, just because you, you may have a job today, but that job may not be there in five years or 10 years from now. And it, it's always, and I, and I tell families I work with all the time with, with different industries and different careers, you've got constantly have to be updating your skill sets to make yourself continue to be valuable and to be able to continue to help solve problems that your company or firm needs. So, you know, when there is a transition, you're still there. So I think about that in, and you as a financial advisor. Okay, if, um, for your clients, you're going to recommend that they continue to save and and build their future, right? Right. So, so when you're working for a company, you want to continue to fill your toolkit while you're there. Just as you say, you want to continue to grow and stay current. So if you're in the market now, okay, so now you have a fresh chance as part of your criteria is, is to, instead of just accepting a position, it's select a position. And that is, as part of the process, uh, you're not going to say, you know, to a prospective employer, now it's my turn to interview you, okay? <laughs> um, you have to understand, which is the most difficult part, I believe the most difficult part of the job search process is you can't control the company's actions. You can only control your own. So what you want to be able to do as part of this discovery of the company is you want to be able to learn about their culture and how they think. So you want to make sure you get yourself in a situation that's going to be a continuous learning organization that's either going to provide that internally to you or going to allow you to do it externally. Um, and frankly, you have to remember you're responsible for you. So even if the company may not provide it, then it's your responsibility to go out and invest in yourself, whether it's webinars or it's you know different classes. But it's really critical because 
To me, the worst thing in the world is to work for a company because you feel like you can't find the same job or a better job somewhere else. You know, so you want to you want to continue to put yourself in a situation of growing and having the opportunity to learn, Paul. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And, you know, when when I got into, you know, the wealth planning, financial service industry, that's one of the things that I really liked about it is that it's continuing to change, uh, especially with what I do with running a family office where there's wealth planning, portfolio management and tax services all under the same umbrella. Well, everybody knows taxes are constantly changing. So there's always what I've learned to love about this industry is the opportunity to continue to learn, grow, and develop. And especially because I work with you know mainly families, but it's you know as I as Tama's gotten bigger, um, the the level of sophistication amongst my families have gotten different. So I'm working with the family that's just starting out, but I'm also working with somebody that's nearing retirement, and those are two different you know, planning scenarios. And then you're working with somebody that, you know, is in retirement already. And that's yet another different scenario. So, but at the core, it's, it's all about the family. Um, I know I don't, I don't have you for, I only have you for a finite amount of time. And there's two things I want to get to my last closing question. I ask all my guests, but before I get there, one of the things that, you know, I, I kind of alluded to yes, or in our previous conversation um, is, talking about my story and the impact that, that you had on me. And I just want to go back to the, the one quote that I always remember you by is that you can only run from your destiny for so long. And I know that every time you know, I see you, I, I always make sure to remind you that and, and to you know, really tell you how much I appreciate um, the, the work that you did with me, um, the support um, that, you, that you offered. Um, I know that you had me back you know, to speak to the to networking group usually once every you know year or something like that, which is I'm always a huge fan to do because you know you gave so much to me um, during my time of transition and and the group of people that I met and you know again I can't thank you enough for um, all of that support that love you know the 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 tough love sometimes when I needed it um, but you know at the end of the day. Um, besides, you know, Teresa, of course, you're a big part of the success that, that Tama has had over these last five years, whether you, you realize it or not. So when, when I finally got you booked here uh, on the show, I was really glad uh, to be able to tell um, you that personally in, in our audience and, and how much you know, you've meant to me over the course of the last uh, five years and in, in, in the continuation of our relationship. So um, Thank you, Rich. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're, it's it's a it's a pleasure. I, you know, when I took this role with Challenger, and I want to use this phrase um, because a lot of people, you know, that have been working for a while are looking for it. You know, I think we all go through different phases of our of our life, and and. To me, this, this is kind of my third act in my career, if you will. And I decided I wanted to do something that I, I wanted to use the experience that I had in the past in a way different in the future, but I wanted to use it. And to me, what I tried to, what I wanted to do was to move this third act in my career from being moneyful to being meaningful. Okay. Uh, not that I don't, not that I don't want some money, okay, but but the point is the focus changes to to really being meaningful, and it's working with people like yourself that um, you know that really that really helped me continue to do to do what I'm doing. Um, so so thank you for those kind words. Uh, but what I want to say though to to the folks that if you have help and it's with someone other than Challenger. Um, it's okay to work with second best. Uh, no, just, just kidding. If you have if you have help from someone other than Challenger, you should use it to the very nth degree because those folks are good people too, and they care. Um, so you should use that uh, to the full extent. Your company wanted you to have it, and you should work at getting, as Paul would tell you, a financial return, a payback on that investment that company has made. Um, Secondly, if you're if you're not working with somebody, 
there are so many amazing people out there that are willing to help you either in a network setting. Um, and if you talk to people, uh, if you talk to your first line of network, I know that you'll come up with some folks that are going to be really willing to help you. One of the things I learned when I was in transition is that um, is is that you remember you certainly remember the people that helped you, and you certainly remember the people that didn't. Okay, um, very true. And, and many times I was surprised about both. I got help from people that I kept saying, "Why are they helping me?" You know, why is this person being so nice to me? Um, but so the point there is if you don't have help between reaching out to your network and asking for help, attending networking sessions, there's a lot of stuff online. Um, there's some great books to help you. Um, and, you know, from that sense, um, people can reach out to me. I have a great partner that I'm working with here in Detroit, Heather Linz. And we probably spend 25 or 30% of our time helping people that aren't and will never be our clients. And that's one of the things I like about doing, we have that freedom to, to help. So uh, the idea is to take whatever you have and play hard with it. Um, well, you are definitely a giver for sure, Rich. So my, my closing uh, question that I ask all of my guests, and, and you, you can answer this from, uh, being a parent or being a grandparent, but what is the one thing that you love most about being either a parent or a grandparent in your situation? Uh, well, I happen to be—I happen to be both. Um, <laughs> I happen to be both. It's just you know, if I be really simple, it's the smile on my face when I when I look at how this this young girl of mine that when we would go places. Um, that were historic or something, I would say, you know, I would say, do you remember that? And she would look at me and say, is it going to be on the test? Okay. <laughs> uh, to, a, to, a, to a woman that um, has been tremendously successful in life with two amazing children. And then I watch those children. It's really the smile that comes on my face. That's what I love most. And when my daughter, who I started coaching, now she's gracious enough and my son gracious enough to allow me to continue to coach, but they also coach me now. So it's, it's that, it's that transition of the relationship that puts that smile on my face too. Well, I think that is a fitting way to close up our conversation, Rich. I can't thank you enough for being on the emotional balance sheet podcast. And uh, I look forward to many conversations to come. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Take care. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.